the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back for our hand panel discussion. Welcome today, Dr. Marshall Karimsky and Dr. Alexia Soria. This is our second case, and it covers cervical versus peripheral neuropathy. So next comes a 45-year-old left-hand dominant roofer who has been seen recently by your spine partner for chronic neck pain and paresthesias in the left upper extremity. Specifically, he's been having weakness and loss of grip in his left hand, as well as numbness in the thumb. He tells you his neck has been bothering him for years, but the numbness and weakness in the hand started about a month ago. There is no trauma, but this does seem to have worsened after a commercial roofing job that took him longer than expected. A lot of his staff was out with COVID. He has a cervical spine x-ray, and this shows multiple level degenerative disc disease and facet arthropathy, which is worse at C5-6 and C6-7. He also had a cervical MRI, which shows severe left-sided neuroforaminal stenosis at C5-6 and C6-7. He was scheduled for a cervical ESI, but over the last two days, the thumb numbness and loss of grip has been dramatically worse, so he's worked in to be seen. Your wrist exam. There's no edema or ecchymosis, and he has normal range of motion, and he can make a full composite fist, but there does appear to be mild thenar wasting and four of five strength with thumb abduction. He also has a positive Sperling's exam. X-rays are within normal limits, and you order a nerve study of the upper extremity, which shows a severely abnormal median nerve compression in the carpal tunnel. Is this a radicular neuropathy from the cervical spine or a neural compression at the wrist, and is it possible to have both, i.e. a double crush syndrome, and is a double crush syndrome real? Yeah, this is a common scenario, particularly for upper extremity surgeons or any surgeon who deals with nerve conditions or any physician who deals with, with nerve conditions at all. Yeah, a double crush phenomenon is certainly a true and legitimate clinical circumstance, and it implies some portion of a nerve being affected at two different locations. And most commonly that would be at the cervical spine level, followed by at the carpal canal. I would suspect that this is coming from the neck, but I certainly would be considering the wrist as a possibility as well. Dr. Soria, how do you manage this patient? Do we treat his cervical spine symptoms and see if that improves his symptoms, or do you go to uh, carpal tunnel release? How do you proceed with workup in this patient? The injections are very helpful in deciphering between which is the origin of the symptoms, and, and we do often see it see where, where both are. As the patient's already scheduled for an ESI, proceeding with that and seeing if their symptoms improve. And if not, considering a diagnostic uh, slash therapeutic, as uh, often explained to patients, injection at the carpal tunnel. Although with severe findings, you may not get complete relief of symptoms, but even with some relief of symptoms at the carpal tunnel with an injection, that may confirm that the patient would benefit from a carpal tunnel release, sort of start on either either end. And then if it truly is at both places, um, sometimes proceeding with a carpal tunnel, it's a lower risk procedure and patients may, may choose to undergo a carpal tunnel release first and see how their symptoms are and then reassess their cervical radiculopathy. Okay. Any other thoughts on radicular versus peripheral neuropathies and how to determine the most likely source? Dr. Karimsky? This can be tricky for sure. So I think the detail in the history for me is the most important. I tend to ask the patient if they feel like they have a neck problem that's going toward their hand and fingers, or if they feel like they have an 
an elbow or a wrist problem that is going down or sometimes up their arm. And most of the time the patient knows they'll be able to tell you, I really feel like my problem is at my wrist and it's going into my fingers. And sometimes it feels like it's going up my arm towards my elbow. Patients with cervical radiculopathy will frequently reference their neck, the periscapular region, or somewhere just proximal to the shoulder as the source of their problem, and will take their, their hand, their contralateral hand, all the way down their arm to indicate to you that the issue appears that it is going all the way down their arm. To me, that is one of the more telling signs that this is coming from the cervical spine region rather than somewhere else. Physical exam, I think, can also be, can be quite helpful. And double cross is real. So you have to, to pay attention to distal sources as well as the neck. Mm-hmm. Our final case study with our hand panel, a 56-year-old right-hand dominant male presents with right medial elbow pain and ulnar-sided wrist pain. He denies recent trauma, although he did have an ipsilateral distal radius fracture 10 years ago that required surgery, and he has a volar plate. He is an admitted golf hack, but he loves the game and he plays every chance he gets. Over the last several weeks, he's noticed that his ring and small fingers fall asleep at night when his elbow is flexed. He has to shake his hand to get it to wake up. He has also had painful popping sensations over his medial elbow when he plays golf, and he thinks he may have hit it fat too many times. Regarding the wrist, he's a significant past medical and surgical history for an ipsilateral distal radius fracture 10 years ago that required ORIF. He did regain most of his motion and strength, but recently when he hits down on the ball, he has pain and mild swelling along the ulnar side of the wrist. He states that his wrist clicks and pops when he goes through range of motion, and he thinks the two conditions are related. Exam. Examine the elbow with no edema or ecchymosis and no effusion. He has full range of motion. His strength is 5 of 5, but he does have a positive froment sign. There is also a positive tenels at the elbow. Wrist exam shows a healed volar incision scar, but the distal radius appears slightly shortened at the wrist compared to the contralateral extremity. He's quite tender over the ulnar side of the wrist with both ulnar deviation and resisted pronation and supination. X-rays of the elbow are normal. X-rays of the wrist show a healed distal radius fracture with a stable volar plate fixation, but there's a neutral to plus one ulnar variance and an ulnar styloid avulsion non-union. And there's also evidence of arthropathy in the ulnar lunate articulation. Dr. Soria. Most likely you're describing a sort of a subluxating ulnar nerve, although that's not specified on the exam. And then as well as cubital tunnel symptoms associated with that. And separately, some ulnar sided wrist pain, uh, which may or may not be related to a remote trauma versus a new onset wrist pain from golfing. You know, is there uh, a Guillain's canal component to the numbness and tingling or the paresthesia the patient's feeling? A good physical exam could help decipher between those two. Again, again, that would be a, considered a kind of a double crush uh, situation. So I would, I would focus my exam and my workup on deciphering the instability of the uh, ulnar nerve at the elbow um, and the related symptoms there, deciphering if there's a, a Guillain's canal component, and then my uh, workup for an ulnar-sided wrist pain. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kremsky, how would you manage his elbow symptoms? Well, ulnar neuropathy at the elbow can be pretty difficult to treat without surgery, although I certainly do try. Non-surgical care would include a regimen of, of vitamin B6 perhaps 100 milligrams twice a day, uh, and then education regarding elbow position. 
So elbow flexion or at least prolonged elbow flexion, as well as direct compression on the elbow and the medial aspect, such as uh, armrests or in, um, depending upon which elbow and, and which seat you're in, if you're, uh, if you're in the front seat of a car and you're leaning on it. Those are some common scenarios for people and uh, try to talk to them about managing that and adjusting their elbow position. And certainly surgery is uh, an option as well. Almost always get an EMG if for no other reason than to exclude more proximal or distal or concomitant pathology. And also to have a baseline understanding of the severity of the condition there. So for most patients who don't have advanced ulnar neuropathy at the elbow, and that would be based upon the history and clinical exam for me, the, the diagnosis of advanced uh, neuropathy. When proceeding with surgery, it is usually because the patient has given up on conservative care, uh, is unwilling to try, or uh, it is failing in their eyes for me. So how do you treat his wrist symptoms? He's got this pain, ulnar-sided pain with deviation. It's painful when he hits down on the ball. He feels some clicking sometimes. Do you inject that? Do you scan it? Do you use contrast when you do it? How do you manage ulnar-sided wrist pain? Dr. Soria, how do you manage that? This is always a, a very difficult one. I think I tortured Marshall with questions about the ulnar side of the wrist when I first started. <laughs> In this particular scenario, it sounds like, so we have some remote trauma. We're seeing uh, radiographic evidence of ulnar carpal impaction syndrome, but in order to see that, it's most likely been been going on for quite some time. It sounds like these symptoms are are actually fairly new. I would likely try an injection into the ulnar side of the, the wrist TFCC area to start and see if we can get these acute, maybe on chronic pathology, but see if the, the acute symptoms can subside and, and get the patient back to, to their baseline. If that did not help, then I would sort of go down my, my tree of other options, uh, either, either repeat injections, also trying bracing, which I would a tripod uh, on the front end as well, and then moving up to, to advanced imaging and, and, and surgical options if needed. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Any other thoughts, concerns, or questions about any of the cases or anything that you would like to pass along? Any wisdom for our PA audience? I think I would add that the most useful thing is to develop your skills with the history and physical examination. Advanced imaging or other diagnostic testing has a role, but it is not the primary method of arriving at the diagnosis and certainly not the treatment plan. So spend time listening so that you can pick up on the common things quickly and arrive at a most likely diagnosis and then become familiar with the arsenal of of treatment options that you have for each of these conditions. And for the upper extremity, much like for a lot of traditional sports medicine, many non-surgical options are extremely helpful. So the the percentage of patients that are going to come in with a need for surgical intervention from some of the cases that we talked about today, for example, are going to be a relatively small portion. Everything from bracing and therapy to uh, anti-inflammatories, the judicious use of steroids, both oral and injected, and then an understanding of sometimes the pathophysiology, maybe needing to make lifestyle or positional modifications to, to avoid pressure on nerves, et cetera. Those can be really helpful. And you can really help patients save on healthcare expenses or unnecessary testing and become better at, at the overall uh, art of taking care of patients with upper extremity conditions. Mm-hmm. So I'd focus my time on that because that's really the craft. Okay, great. History and physical exam. You pretty much know what's going on before you get in there a lot of times. So doctors, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate everything. I look forward to having this podcast come out. All right, thanks. Thanks, guys. 
Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the physician assistance in orthopedic surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review. 